Hi, welcome to Lessons I Learned in Law with me, Scott Brown. I'm founder and managing director of Harriet Brown in-house legal recruitment. We are specialists in placing lawyers and fulfilling careers in the in-house market. If you've not listened to the podcast before on each episode, I'm delighted to be joined by a top legal mind hope my guest today doesn't mind me calling him that as they break down three key lessons that they've learned from working in law the idea and the hope is that you leave it informed and inspired and can see some things from your career that you could apply to your own career path i'm delighted to be joined today by kenny robertson kenny thanks for joining me yeah thanks for having me mate and uh, thanks for calling me a top legal mind it's not something that I'm <laughs> it's not something i'm used to being described as but i'll take it Oh, well, there's a first for everything. <laughs> so Kenny's Head of Outsourcing Technology and IP at the legal team at NatWest, which is formerly RBS. And he's been there as part of the furniture. He's been there for 17 years. So we'll dive into that a bit more in his, his career and what, what took him there during our conversation, no doubt. I'll apologise in advance. We'll put subtitles, I think, on for this episode. I tend to find myself slipping into a, a deeper Scottish accent when I'm speaking to a fellow Scot. Um, but good to chat, Kenny, and, and really happy to have you have you as a guest. Yeah, thanks for having me. And I, I too, will try and speak slowly and as eloquently as I can manage. <laughs> we'll jump in. Kenny, we'll jump to your, your first lesson. The first lesson for me was the importance of being yourself. I think when I started out in my career, as you mentioned, I've been at the bank a long time. I was in-house a software company before then um, and I started out in private practice. And I think when I started out, I sort of conformed to what I thought a lawyer should be, aloof, standoffish, sort of ivory tower, very keen to sell IQ without realising as I I grew up. And it dawned on me that it's a contact sport giving legal advice and legal support and it's a relationship game um, and I think it's hard to build relationships unless you're authentic and you're genuine and you can be yourself and that the stakeholders or clients are able to see that and, and, and start to forge a relationship. When I was younger, I suppose I didn't have the confidence to do that necessarily and I, I still see that a fair bit in others of thinking they need to conform to what their idea, what the concept of a lawyer is rather than allowing them to be who they actually are. One of the things I really enjoy about my job at the bank is I can't be myself. Then you're encouraged to be yourself and, and, and bring all your ability to the table rather than sort of conforming to a sort of set stiff idea of what being a lawyer means. And we'll maybe touch on this later on, but certainly from my perspective, the job has shifted significantly in 2023 from what it was when I started and it's important to to flex with that. So that's been my first lesson, which is I try to embed with myself and the team is that people being feeling comfortable to be themselves. Very good lesson. Where did you sort of flip that switch? Is there a time in your career where you feel it it first clicked for you? Probably when I left private practice. So I I, when I started out, I trained at a, a firm in, uh, I trained in Glasgow and, and London uh, for a short period um, as an, I qualified as an IP lawyer and I left there and I was two or three years qualified to join a company which was called Graham Technology and it's been bought and sold a couple of times since. That was kind of revelatory for me in terms of what that was like moving in-house and the difference between the environment I was used to to the environment I was going into and the culture that was there, which 
maybe neatly or otherwise leads into my second <laughs> lesson, which was, as you probably have picked up, Scott, I use all football analogies. And my second lesson was about playing with your head up, which I kind of learned very much at game technology. And well, what I mean by that is whether it's rugby or football playing number 10 of what's going on, what the plays, where's the opportunity, what's around the corner. And when I moved to... Um, to Graham Technology from private practice, I realised quite quickly that there was far more to being a sort of fully contributing member of staff than simply giving technically correct legal advice. So, you know, even the induction training, talking about, you know, the books being encouraged to read, putting an emphasis on um, curiosity, I found that as I said, a, a, an absolute revelation, the humanity in terms of management and leadership, the importance of openness and transparency. And to answer your question around being yourself, it, me being a sort of, you know, straight-jacketed lawyer wasn't going to work. You know, everybody, we had to think 200, 250 members of staff, you needed to get stuck in and you need, I needed to to be part of that team there's only a couple of lawyers there and I had to adapt to the environment I, I found myself and being as I said a traditional lawyer wasn't what they needed which worked for me it was great I I loved my time there it was, it was really transformational and a lot of the concepts that I picked up there a lot of the thinking that I learned there I've very much adapted into when I became a grown-up and I eventually had, you know got my own team and the couple of years I was there, what I learned stayed with me. So that focus on learning, as I said, being curious, what's, what's around the corner, what can we adapt? We do, as a team, weekly what we call learning labs. And it's just, just small, literally bite-sized type things, a couple, well, an hour a week maybe, focusing on different topics. And through those learning labs and other, just generally the culture, which I'll talk about later on, we've introduced a whole bunch of stuff from other teams, other areas of law and some things out with law. So, for example, we, we've looked at how Pixar operate, we've taken some of their sort of concepts of brain trusts, we use behavioural science, we sort of try to roll out nudge theory, design thinking's quite a big thing for us, psychological safety, we work with the O-shaped lawyer as we were talking about earlier on, Delta model lawyer, we've rolled that out as well. And we wouldn't have known any of that stuff if we weren't playing with our head up and we weren't trying to build a network, use a network, understand what might be able to fundamentally make the boat go faster. The result of all that is I think we operate much better as a team. I think we are much more engaged as a team when we are able to talk about things like design thinking. We've got a lot of stakeholders and innovation teams in the bank. They work in design thinking all the time and just being able to hold a conversation with them about the various stages of design thinking. They don't really expect that from us. And when we are able to, to demonstrate that we're aligned with where they're going, it makes a big difference. And it generally just makes us more interesting and more interested as a team with stakeholders and much more yeah. engaging as a, as a result. Um, so, yeah. yeah, play with your head up has been fairly central to how I've tried to operate. Excellent. Just going back to that move in house to Graham Technologies, who was teaching you that? Was it was it other lawyers or to have that shift in A being yourself and, and B being curious and looking at different perspectives? Were you working with other lawyers in that team or was it the business as a whole? Yeah, the latter. Right. It was just very much in the DNA of the organisation is that you, you know, were a fairly dynamic young leadership team. 
which wasn't what I was used to. But yeah, you just had to very quickly adapt and pick up. This is how things were done around here. And it was great. As I said, I, I think I thrived in it. You also realise no one sits you down and explains, this is who you need to be here. And that's part of maybe us talking about being yourself and it being a contact sport, is being able to read a room and understand what a client or a stakeholder needs and wants is, yes, you need to give legal advice and mitigate risk, but you also need to do it in a way which is accessible and the way that the stakeholder needs it or the client needs it, not the way you want to deliver it. So rocking up and sending a, a lengthy email to cover your backside for what you're doing, you need to be able to adapt. So yeah, it, it was just very much in the sort of DNA of the organisation. Yeah. Where do you think, see the, and, and the being yourself and feeling you have to play up to that preconceived ideas of what yeah. a lawyer is, where do you think that comes from? How does it, how does that come around? Because it's something I hear a lot speaking to junior lawyers, but also I guess people throughout the profession. I mean, I think it's a fairly conservative profession, right? Mm-hmm. And it's worked. I mean, we operate in a profession that built on tradition and precedent and how things were done before and maybe looking in the rear view mirror and that's kind of what's expected to some extent as a lawyer you're a safe pair of hands one of the things I like about working in house is yes you're all that but but certainly in my team you've got a bit of a longer leash to go and experiment and try things and innovate so I, I think it's just traditionally Scott being hardwired into what a lawyer means I think what I touched on earlier on I think we're maybe at a bit of an inflection point about what it is to be a lawyer in 2023 and whether that's driven by some of the generative AI that's emerging that I think in a few years' time may pose some interesting existential questions for what the skill set is in, in a lawyer in 2023. But um, I think some of that also feeds in the expectation, if you like. Apart from dentistry, we have the worst statistics for depression, suicide, addiction and so on. I do wonder how much of that is not just workloads, which is obviously something to do with it, but also maybe some people feeling they can't be themselves and they need to be someone they're not. And that's not a lot of fun every day is being someone that you feel you need to be rather than who you are. Yeah. And there that stat in terms of being compared to the dentistry, but, but yeah, I think the culture is a huge, a huge thing. And I think the profession you can say across the board does have that stuffiness and you do a lot of work around like diversity. And we we first met during is an interlaw event. Tell us a bit about the the sort of work that you've done there, both as an individual and with with our, like how you've implemented some of those things at RBS. I think you touched on a couple during lockdown. George Floyd's incident happened, and as you mentioned earlier on, my whole team is based in Edinburgh. And um, from a race perspective, if you like, I think whatever stats are, that ninety eight percent of Edinburgh's whites. There's not enough lot of diversity in Scotland generally. Uh, racial diversity at least um, and, and that was always what do you expect that we don't do an awful lot for people of colour and we sort of challenged ourselves of is that really an okay do we really get a pass for that so we were in lockdown everyone was working on a screen we we were a small square on our, on our laptop so we started to think about well actually does that pass the, you know, do we just sort of pretend there's nothing we can do is that really sustainable answer so we reached out to people we knew except you know Catherine McGregor, Celine Brett and others and we put in a, a work experience program and in that work experience program it was targeting uh, particularly law students who we are of a non-white background so with others from Salford from London from Manchester Coventry whenever it was we um, allowed we, we used our network to have 
uh, diverse students coming in and spending a week working with us. That was great. I mean, still ongoing. It's now, you know, that we've now working with the Scottish Ethnic Minorities Law Association. The bank in, in our legal department has a first steps programme that we reach out to law students from disadvantaged backgrounds and we have them in en masse. Um, they, some of them come back into my team for a week at a time. And it's, it's been great. It's, 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 it's good for the soul as I started for 10. It's the right thing to do. But in terms of the talent that is out there is, is enormous. We've had some really, really impressive students with us. And even from our own pipeline in terms of you're quite interesting, law firms invariably come and swallow them up before we can get uh, our hands into them. But it's been a really great experience for us. Hopefully, it's been a good experience for students as well. And let's talk about culture as well, but it's supported who we're trying to be as a culture in terms of trying to give back as best we can. Nice. Really good to hear. Looking outside the box in terms of like not just being defined by where the team's based. Fantastic. So the football analogies, where do those weave their way into into your daily conversations? I'm amazed I've only used one, but I, I use 40 many. It's, it's completely ridiculous. But um, I think you, you described yourself, I think, because a reluctant lawyer. I, I would describe myself as an accidental lawyer. The only reason I really did law was my mother uh, saying to me that her father knew died before long before I was born but you know how how amazed he would have been to have a lawyer in the family so right okay I'll give it a go yeah um, wanting you know but, but, but fundamentally I wanted to be a footballer sadly I was not good enough and by the way it wasn't that I you know it just didn't make the grade or I broke my leg I was not good enough with a capital in NGE <laughs> so yeah I, I football's sort of been part of my routine I've got a a season ticket at one of the major teams in Glasgow, and it's not Celtic. Um, yeah. So I, I <laughs> alienated another. Alienated another half of the audience. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, apologies. Um, your, <laughs> your listening figures will be plummeting. I know it's a, it's a bit of a busman's holiday, but when you do look at some of the initiatives in football, some of the stuff that Guardiola did at Barcelona, and the sort of culture that he's you know tried to infuse into a dressing room and into a club, there isn't. I know it's easy to overdo the sports psychology and the sports analogy. I know it's, that's very popular with middle-aged men like me, but I've tried to lift bits and pieces that are relevant while not boring my team senseless by using too many analogies. Uh-huh. How have you learned management? How have you acquired that skill set? I read quite a lot, um, and I, I try to learn from others. I mean, there's, I've made lots and lots and lots of mistakes trying to say to my daughter she's 13 there's an easy way to do things and there's a hard way to do things the easy way to do things trying to learn from others and also that I think there's something to be said for sort of what I talk about vicarious learning so wherever you are is looking at how others are leading or managing and asking yourself questions well mm, did that work did that motivate me did that inspire me did that make me feel belittled or did that did that actually is there something that I can steal so we, we used to have a general counsel at the bank called John Collins John mentored me for a period when he was at the bank I adored John I thought he was tremendous you know I would look at John when he was on his feet his humanity how he knew everybody's name he was very inclusive um, he made you feel part of something and I would try and learn from that and, and in terms of the impact he had on people and likewise you look at others and you 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 blah. I'm sure I'd have said it that way or I'm not sure that landed or I'd have given a bit more of yourself there 
and I've tried to do that um, as I as I've gone through my career. But as I said, it's not. It's there's an, you're going to get scuffed up, and you're going to make mistakes, and, and I have uh, lots. But I do try and read reasonably widely and talk to others, have a network, ask what you know what's what's worked, what's not worked, learn from others. One of the many advantages we have as lawyers is there's a lot of clever people, and there's a lot, particularly in house, there's a lot of generous people with their time, and there's a great ecosystem to to lean into each other and learning from others who are in my experience, invariably incredibly generous with their time and incredibly keen to help and incredibly keen to try and make the profession better and bring on the next generation. Leaning into that is one of the things I really, really enjoy about working in-house. Yeah. I think that's also a great lesson for people as well, listening and, and any any junior lawyers that listen that are, I don't know, apprehensive or put off maybe reaching out to people or don't think it's their first point of call, right? There's a lot of people out there that do want to help and very generous with their time and, and paying it forward or whatever phrase you want to use. I was listening to one of your previous podcasts and Sterling Miller was on it and we have a team have read Sterling's blog posts for years. He happened to post one a couple of months ago that was very one point to something we were looking at. I just reached out to him, messaged him and you know, immediately comes back to me, great, you know, great to my chat, anytime you want to speak. That's the kind of thing that makes the world go round and and it's giving that back and that generosity is exactly what I'm talking about. So yeah, I, w- I would completely agree to uh, to the young team, what's the worst that's going to happen? Someone's not going to reply. They probably will reply. Um, people are flattered that you're interested. But yeah, I would certainly be brave and reach out if there's something you're looking to build on. Yeah, nice. What was your position as a, as a footballer? Yeah, I played in midfield badly. I would like to say box to box and getting up and down the park, but that wouldn't be true. So yeah, yeah. I've um, having moved here, I've just recently reached out to a football team to try and make some a wider social group of friends. And uh, yeah, I think I'm going to play tomorrow night. There are an eleven aside team. I'm actually quite worried as to I've not I've not kicked a ball in about five years. I'm, I'm actually dreading them being really good and then just being like, oh no. But, but I had you text the guy the other day. I was like, what's the What's the sort of standard age? What's the age group of the team? Is it 25, 24 to 37? I'm 38, so I'm fit. I'm not football fit. I'm uh, vanity fit and uh, going to the gym, but not uh, yeah, not run not run that distance. So we'll see how that goes. I'll be crippled, I think. I'll be intrigued to hear how you go on with the, uh, the the Dutch technique against the Scottish lump it to the big yeah, man. Exactly. <laughs> I don't know. I don't know. Get them turned <laughs> mm-hmm. Exactly. If, if, if in doubt, get it out as the uh, yeah. yes, as the, exactly. as the, as the uh, total football uh, purists are horrified. Yeah, I'll let you know when I can't when I can't walk to pick up my phone. <laughs> we'll move on to lesson three. Third lesson about culture, and um, maybe to some extent what I've spoken about before. It's largely in all fours with the culture, but the one thing I've tried to do as a team on culture is, is the best thing I've, I've done as a leader. I mentioned reading books earlier on. One of the guys I'd like to read is, um, his name's Ben Horowitz. And uh, there's a quote in one of his books saying that if you don't set your culture, two thirds of it will end up being accidental and the rest will be a mistake. And I think that's probably true. So when I aim, and this is going back, there's a bit of a journey here around how we've tried to implement culture but um, when I became team head a few years ago one of the things that 
we did early was introduce this concept of psychological safety and let's start talking about that and we we ran something called failure camps which is a concept that uh, was created by uh, professor kat moon she's a lecturer at vanderbilt law school in uh, nashville and kat's a friend we started to run these failure camps to build up that sense of openness vulnerability and trust to where we start sort of sort of began to, to have that platform in play and then that allowed us to have embryonic conversations about things like what do we mean by culture what does that word mean it's bandied about a lot it's important we're clear about what that means so how are things done around here how do we interact with each other what do we how do we want things to be around here and then we spoke about well what is our culture right now and this is where the psychological safety bit came in of let's be candid with each other and let's be honest about where do we think we are culturally warts and all and where do we want it to be and that that, that ultimately led to a fairly long list of incontrovertible statements about what kind of team we wanted to be so it's far too long 26 bullet points but importantly it, it kind of got us used to living this so it wasn't just a whole bunch of words stuck up in a wall it was stuck in the inside of our sort of jotter things were in, in the office it was referenced in team meetings and ultimately that became the three sort of cultural pillars as, as we call them in the team the first is high performance which doesn't mean perfection it means you do the best you can with an asterisk of you're going to make mistakes sometimes and we're human and it's important that you can share missteps with others from from a trust perspective from a vulnerability perspective from belonging and also to be honest just sharing risk because the chances are if somebody did X to try to achieve Y and Z happened instead, most people would have done X to achieve Y and it's useful just sharing that what actually unpacked there. So high performance, do the best you can, grow, try and lean into things. The second thing is about progressive mindset, which is really what I was touching on earlier on about playing with your head up around being curious, what's around the corner, what's going on out there what, what market trends are we speaking to the right people what could we bring in try and get kites in the air to try and um, see what works in terms of how we operate as a team and the last point is teamship and that isn't just going out for a pint with each other although that's uh, that obviously has its place it's about forgiveness it's about tolerance it's about accepting it's about a bad day not making a bad person it's about being coachable. It's about assuming positive intent and accepting people as, as they are into the team. That's our three cultural pillars and they really are pretty much a North Star for how we operate, how we recruit, how we behave. We ran a session a couple of weeks ago with Dentons and uh, and the O'Shape guys and um, they want our culture to travel so that they, for example, can feel that this is what we're about as a group rather than without me having to say is one, two and three. But just again, general feel of this is what we're about. We also talk about as a sort of growth opportunity for people in the team of, of us being cultural architects. So whether you've got, I was going to use another football analogy about having an armband on your, uh, you're wearing the armband. But yes, whether, <laughs> whether you're in a formal management position or leadership position, you can still adopt a role being a cultural architect in terms of role modelling, leading the correct type of behaviours even when it's hard and a lot of this stuff is hard it's easier to you know if someone you know if someone if you're annoyed at someone to you know complain about them or bitch about them to somebody else that's not okay 
that's not how we operate. That's not the sort of team we want to be. So that's all led to, I think, the team being in a really good place. I think it's a happy team. I think our recruitment has gone well. I think we're, we are in a good place. But the culture that we have has underpinned everything we do. And I, I've got no doubt it's the best thing that, that, that I've tried to introduce in my time. That sounds great. I think a really good overview of the of, of, of that culture and how the process that you went through and everyone been involved in defining that. How does it align with the business's values and culture? So we we have a five bank values and it aligns quite well with them. So there's us going through all of them and he says under pressure to try to remember all five. There's things like inclusive, robust, sustainable, ambitious and curious. Well done me, I got to the five. So, so th- things like um, curious is absolutely on point. Ambitious, I want us to be a high-performing team. I want us to be the best we can be. And um, sustainable, but we're talking earlier about ESG and human rights. And I mentioned about, you know, we became, I think, the first UK bank to go out with climate transition clauses and all our templates for supply contracts. We did that because we play with our head up. We, you know, we're talking to the Chancellor Lane, what's going on, how can we... How can we get involved in this? How can we help support the bank's ESG agenda and the bank's climate goals? Um, so it, it's a strong alignment to where we're trying to be as a bank, particularly given the sort of technology agreements that we do. More and more, the bank is operating as a technology company that, that happens to be in financial services. So both in terms of the technical work that comes through the door and in how we operate, there's a huge opportunity for my team to be in a really nice place to positively impact where we're trying to go as a bank. Excellent. Thanks for sharing those lessons, Kenny. Those are great and a really good insight into what it's like working in the working in the bank and what's got you to where you are today. Thank you for your time. Thanks for having me. I've enjoyed it. And anyone out there that's looking to reach out and flood your inbox with uh, those requests for, for a quick five minutes, how would they be best to reach out? I'm on LinkedIn. That's probably easiest. And yes, yeah. I'll, I'll promise I'll not be a hypocrite and ignore you if you if you want to reach out. <laughs> I promise I'll come back to you. Thank you for listening. I hope you've enjoyed that lesson of, of lessons I learned in law. If you have, then please subscribe over on your favourite podcast platform, whichever that might be. And if you've got any suggestions, we're really keen on hearing your feedback, any suggestions of guests or, or topics that you would like us to cover in particular, then reach out on hello at harrietbrown.com or drop me a message on LinkedIn. I've been Scott Brown. Thanks for listening. Till next time. Bye.